Welcome to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. I'm glad you could all join me again uh, for what seems like month 76 in this quarantine thus far. Uh, I hope uh, your families aren't driving you too crazy. I hope you have enough food in your pantry, and I hope you have enough toilet paper to wipe your ass. But that all being said, I want to thank you for joining me again for another episode. Uh, as always, you can always find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom, or you can find us on our anchor homepage, which is anchor.fm forward slash fuel your fandom. That'll give you the link to find us on all the different podcast sites, uh, such as Google, Spotify, Apple, yada, yada, yada. The list goes on. Um, also a big shout out to our sponsor with Seattle wave radio. Uh, I'm sure uh, by now you guys have all checked that out and I appreciate that. Um, but once again, we are on a, a topic of, we're going to try and stay uh, positive because Lord knows there's enough negativity out in the world. And so I've been trying to gear uh, the podcast in a bit of a more positive direction. Uh, I mean, I'm no John Krasinski, uh, and God bless whatever he's doing these days, but, uh, I try to keep it, it, it on a positive front. So with me today, I have, um, a special guest. Uh, his name is Mark Rahner. He is a comic book writer. He is a journalist, a movie reviewer, etc., etc. Uh, Mark, I want to welcome you to the Fury Fandom Podcast. I'm glad to be with you, but I have to tell you that if you wanted to focus on positivity, I think you booked the wrong guest. <laughs> well, I mean, positivity in that we're not going to talk about this situation as it's unfolding now this lord knows there's enough people talking about it who know a lot hell of a lot more about it than i do um i'm gonna keep the right. pursuits to the geekier uh, aspects of life uh, well no promises but let's see how it goes <laughs> so uh mark why don't you uh tell me a little bit about uh, about yourself and your career what, uh, i know you do comic books i know you've done journalism but can you kind of uh, expand on that a little bit for me yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to tell where to start, but you are probably talking to me because of the comic books. I've been a comic book writer since about roughly approximately 2009 uh, when I did an independent horror Western comic called Rotten. And that was right around the same time that I also co-wrote a comic for Boom Studios called Galveston with Tom Pyre, uh, who uh, used to be an East uh, DC editor and is now running his own company, uh, Ahoy Comics. You should check Ahoy out. Um, I will, definitely. They're very good. And I did a story in their anthology called Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Terror. Uh, so I started around then, about 2009, about 11 years ago, when I was still a journalist with the Seattle Times. Uh, I could kind of see the writing on the wall for print journalism. And I was also getting very frustrated at the time that about the only straight talk you could really see in news was in the late night comedians and regular news outlets were just really going out of their way to not even be able, you couldn't count on them even to say the obvious. And so I kind of did my own small scale version of a Rod Serling and wanted to go into a venue where I could talk about stuff, even if it was under a pretext of fantasy and grotesque sociopathic violence and stuff like that. So there was the comic book career begun. My independent comic, Rotten, uh, it got a lot of very generous, kind, nice reviews, and that opened some other doors for me. And I did a lot of work for hire. After that, I wrote um, The Green Hornet, a lot of Edgar Rice Burroughs' Mars stuff that people can check out, Vampirella, Army of Darkness, uh, and uh, Tarzan, uh, quite a number of other things. Yeah, and, and I've been, I've, uh, was introduced to your work through uh, Brandon Jerwa and also through Eric Trotman, uh, who are friends of mine, and uh, they were kind enough to introduce us. Um, but they introduced me to a lot of your, I, I had kind of a, a, a wide swath of your work to look through. And the thing that immediately caught my eye was uh, your work with the Twilight Zone. Um, 
It's what I'm proudest of, and I'm glad you got a chance to see it. And I just cannot tell you what an influence that was on me and, and how much I love Rod Serling. And we have never needed Rod Serling more than we do right now. Oh, no, but, we're living in the Twilight Zone. I'm, oh, I'm relatively sure of it. Worse. Uh, <laughs> but we'll always have him, uh, his words uh, with us. He, he already told us everything we needed to know. And when you look at his absolute righteous anger against greed and ignorance and bigotry and especially cruelty, he would have his hands full writing these days if he were still alive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that really struck me and, and, uh, and, and it may be, I haven't had any experience with the new Twilight Zone. I've heard very good things. Um, I haven't had a chance to experience it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as now, we, we talked briefly uh, offline about uh, the Twilight Zone and uh, my introduction to it was uh, a, a lot of years ago. Uh, as, as I'm sure the case with a lot of people, but uh, uh, it never was anything I really paid a whole lot of attention to. It was always more kind of background information and, you know, Nick at night type fair, if you know what I'm saying. Sure. Uh, and, you know, we, we all revisit the Twilight Zone at different stages of our life, and it means different things to us when we do. That's exactly right. And and I'm, I'm actually taken by the fact that how well uh, the not just the video, the video looks great. The videos on, they're streaming them all on Amazon prime right now. And I went down a rabbit hole with them yesterday and I'm probably going to continue down that rabbit hole for the next foreseeable future, just because. Oh, lucky you then lucky you, because there's nothing better to do with your time, especially while everybody's under lockdown. And I got to tell you, I know I interrupted you and I apologize. Oh, that's fine. Uh, last night I was watching the uh, bomb shelter episode and I'm not exaggerating when I say that it, it nearly brought me to tears. Uh, yeah. And uh, I was, well, what was the one? I watched uh, walking distance was the one I started with last night. And, and for a reason, we'll, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But um, I fl- as I was flipping through the titles, uh, there's so many of them that I just remember inherently, even if I couldn't tell you uh, rope for rope, what, what the plot details were. And it's like watching, it's like talking to an old friend. It's like you slip right back into it. And, and there's so much uh, pop culture and media that is predicated on uh, things like the Outer Limits or the Twilight Zone or coming a little farther forward into the X-Files and things like that. The, the paranormal type things that we are presented with that just kind of uh, weave their way throughout pop culture. And... Uh, <sighs> I'm trying to think about how to phrase what I want to say here. Um, no, you're 100% on the right track. The, the Twilight Zone, the Outer Limits, those were the granddaddies. Uh, you, uh, you know, they were before my time by, by quite a bit. And, and they were in reruns when I was a kid and I digested those. It's really hard, I think, for a lot of people who are even younger than you and me to grasp how influential those were and how there was essentially nothing before those, or even Star Trek, something like Star Trek, just how primitive uh, science fiction and media looked before Star Trek came along. Um, th- well, those right. things, those and, things and, are massively important and, and wonderful. I love them. Absolutely. And, and going back now, as you say, Star Trek, it's really hard to watch the original series for me because you know we, we've come so far in what we can do with visual effects and what we can do with uh, practical effects and uh, just acting in general, what can be shown on television has changed so dramatically. So uh, to, to pair up the original series with uh, even Deep Space Nine or with, uh, uh, well, now certainly with Discovery and Picard, uh, there's such, uh, they're, they're the worlds apart, but the seeds are still there. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to get us off on uh, on a tangent that's going to drive me into like spittle flecked rage, especially because <laughs> I, I was getting to kind of like you. We've we've only just met, but you seem like a good guy. But the original Star Trek is so far superior to anything that. Oh, I agree. Uh, I, I, I I agree for the fact that specifically, if we had not had that as a stepping stone, we'd have nothing now. 
or what we have now is would be so dramatically different and it wouldn't be what we fell in love with. True, true. But hear me out. What I, my point is that it's beautiful. The, in addition to the fact that they told such an amazing amount of story in something like a 50 minute episode, it's just beautifully filmed and every other Star Trek since then, especially Discovery, they're so ugly to look at. I, I can't even watch Next Generation. They all look like they were shot in a brightly lit abortion clinic. The original Star <laughs> Trek is just great looking. And if you've ever seen, there's a, there's a fan uh, series. I think it's called Star Trek Continues. Have you heard of that? I have. Uh, I've not watched a whole lot of it, but I have seen some of the sets and, and some of the things that they've done. Right. Not only is it awfully good, especially for a fan thing, but it's beautifully done and it looks exactly like the old show. The sets, the lighting, right down to the specific techniques that you saw in Star Trek where, where a, a person's in a tight close-up with sort of a bar of light across their eyes. They really, they really have captured a lot of what made that show so beautiful. Oh, no, I absolutely agree. And, and I think uh, as the technology improves for what we can do now, uh, it enables the common person, the lay person, as, it, as you were, to have access to the old techniques, the old style of doing things. Uh, in fact, we, have, we see a lot of that uh, resurgence in horror as well with the things like uh, with what Sam Raimi and, 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 and his friends did with uh, the original Evil Dead, uh, all shot very, very haphazardly and very... Uh, I'm trying to think of the way to say it. Um, practical, very, very practical. Um, yeah, they went the George Romero route, 100%. Right, and, but like with the original Star Trek, those, those, those techniques are now so readily available and, and easily accessible to anyone that it just shows that uh, all you have to do is have that eye for it. And, and the people on Star Trek Continues, and I, I want to say Axanar as well, uh, were both very, very good at capturing that feeling of the original series. Yeah, it's astonishing to me that with the fact that you could put together on a not very expensive laptop now, you don't even have to have a Mac. You, you can generate <laughs> something superior to, to that TV of half a century ago. And even you could generate something like Discovery. And yet, you look at, look at say, a mock time, or a muck, or however you pronounce it, or you know, some of the best uh, sitting on the edge of forever. If you look at those, look at the beats, look at how far they go, the character stuff they achieve, what they accomplished in those original series episodes was an astonishing uh, accomplishment, especially when you look at Discovery. And you know, I, I, I don't ever miss an episode because I'm a fan and a lifelong addict, probably like you are, but boy, they're just not as good. Now I will tell you what I find is really uh, delicious Star Trek these days, and I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, but the Orville. Oh yeah, no, you're hundred uh, percent correct on that. Uh, the Orville is the best Star Trek since the original. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I agree, uh, and it's it's such a love letter to well the original series, but also Next Generation. I feel, um, but it's it's such a love letter to those original you know, plot points and the original character arcs and things like that. It, it's much more driven in the same way that TOS and the next generation were as well. Yeah. Seth MacFarlane gets Star Trek in a way that JJ Abrams with his abomination, terrible movies <laughs> never uh, could understand it. Now I wanted to hate the original or the new JJ Abrams movies. I didn't hate them. I didn't love them. Uh, I thought they were cast pretty brilliantly, at least the first one. Um, well, but, if you don't want to hate him, here's a way to look at him that you might find helpful. Lance Flyers? No, well, that too. J.J. <laughs> Abrams isn't doing Star Trek so much as he's riffing on Star Trek. That's it. That's all it is. He's riffing on it. Like, hey, what if Kirk and Spock were kind of assholes to each other when they were young? Or what if they got in a, what if Spock and his girlfriend got in a relationship argument on the shuttlecraft when Kirk was listening and couldn't get out of the way? It, it's just riffing <laughs> on it. He's not really doing Star Trek. And, and that's why it rings so empty to me. I really can't stand those things. And it's too bad because if you love Star Trek, 
you get even angrier. If you were just going in as a neutral person who didn't care about Star Trek, it'd be like, eh, it's no skin off my nose. It's just another movie. But no, God damn you for doing this to a thing I love. Yeah, and, and we, we run across that a lot uh, these days because uh, I talked about it in a previous episode, but we're very much living in a reboot, remake culture. And it, it's really hard to have uh, a thing held precious that you love from back in the day without it being retread and revamped and reshot and redone. And, you know, a lot of people feel ruined. And uh, Yeah, and you mentioned the reboot of the Twilight Zone, and it's always going to have reboots. And what is this, like the fourth? They're going to be up and down in quality, but you're always, always going to have the original one. Just like the, the ungodly bad Will Smith Wild Wild West movie oh, does Jesus. nothing yeah. to harm the fantastic four years of original wild, wild west and all 100 of the, and four, I think of those episodes. So we'll always have the originals or even closer to your heart, the green Hornet. You know what? Uh, I just did a binge watch of all, I think 20, was it 23, 26? I forget how many episodes. It was only one season. That is such a beautiful show and everybody loves Bruce Lee rightfully. So, and I don't want to start off on a, a <laughs> tangent about his portrayal in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because it was totally reasonable. But Van Williams is great in that show. He's such a good Green Hornet, and he just he doesn't get much attention these days because Bruce gets all of it. Van Williams is a fantastic Green Hornet. See, now I, that, that's a show I need to sit down and watch again. See, I used to watch that show uh, kind of back-to-back with uh, the 67 Batman 66 yes or 66 excuse me and uh i I love the original batman that's that's my batman that's a good pairing and and uh the the original 66 batman is it's another one of those wonderful shows that depending on the age you're at when you see it it means something different to you and so again uh you know a little before my time, but I saw the reruns when I was a small child and it imprinted on me. And of course I loved it. And I wanted Adam West to be my dad, like everybody did. (laughs) And then when you watch it as an adult, you see, oh God, this is just genius level hilarious. This is so funny and so well done. Like Uh, beyond camp. you, You could not possibly just dismiss that show as camp. No, no, it's so far beyond that. It, it's kind of a, a thing of its own making. It's it's kind of its own little art form. Totally, totally. It's like reducing it to saying, "Oh, it's just camp," is 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 selling it so far short. Um, yeah, and not only that, but now in the year twenty twenty, when you can have legal marijuana delivered to your front door, <laughs> the show just keeps getting better. It just gets better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean. I'm not going to say you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I did what I said I wasn't going to do, and I got us off on a 10. No, no, no. This is perfect. See, uh, this kind of gives me an insight into, into your head, too. And one of the things that I like to ask my guests before we really kick off into topics or anything uh, is, uh, what is it that you are a fan of? What are you uh, passionate about? Because my, my show is called Feel Your Fandom. Uh, the entire idea behind it is to... Uh, talk about your own fandoms to to uh, push your passions up and inflame your passions, but also to hear other people talk about theirs so they can be passionate and they can be excited. And maybe, you know, cross-pollination excitement happens and you get like me where I'm now on a Twilight Zone binge and there you go. So we've got sure. a little bit of insight into the things that you like. Is there anything else that you're particularly nerdy about or? Well, I think like a lot of comic professionals, of course, you, you grow up reading and loving comics. That That's uh, a given. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got a special fondness and obsession for TV in the second half of the 1960s, up until like 1969, when uh, all the violent shows were taken off the air because of uh, politics. I mean, that's the Wild Wild West had had such a massive share of the audience that that doesn't even exist in today's TV landscape, but shows like that or Garrison's Gorillas. Have you ever heard of that show? I have not. Uh, it's It only ran for one season in 1967, and it was a World War II show that was essentially the Dirty Dozen meets Mission Impossible, and it's just great. Anybody listening, you can find these episodes on YouTube. 
And it's not a realistic World War II show. I mean, it's complete fantasy bullshit, but it's so fun. It's so fun. But my point was that I love shows from that period, Star Trek, Wild Wild West, uh, Twilight Zone is a little before that. It started in 59. But also Man From Uncle, Batman we've talked about. It was when uh, people just started getting color TVs too. And the colors just pop. Even mm-hmm. if you're not having weed delivered to your door, they're just, <laughs> they're so beautiful to look at. And it's kind of like, you know, now we, we've had Mad Men uh, as, as a cultural touchstone. I like all those shows set in the Mad Men era. Um, and they work better for me than than watching current things now based on characters that were created during the Mad Men era, era rather. Uh, but people try to make them fit into the current times, if that makes sense to you. They try to modernize while still being uh, adherent to the original timeline. Yeah, like look at all the things that we love if we're comic book fans. All the DC stuff, the, the original DC stuff is more than eight decades old. All the Marvel stuff was uh, more than five decades old. And, you know, it, it's not easy to make that relevant and not laughable uh, in, in, in 2020. And so I just, I, I really enjoy just going back into that area, era and watching stuff that was made then with characters that were cool then. Think of how many characters... Think of what a great job Marvel did putting characters that were made way back then, including, you know, like Hawkeye and the Scarlet Witch who had, and Thor, Thor. Mm. We had every reason to expect those to be just like laugh out loud, silly and stupid when they were put on screen. But, but they, they knocked it out of the park. They did a fantastic job. Well, I think we have enough evidence of, of negative versions of those characters. I mean, if you look back at the made for TV uh, Doctor Strange or the made-for-TV. Yes, with Peter uh, Hooten. Oh, Jesus. You, you, yes. you, you know it. Okay. Oh, yeah. We, we have enough bad examples of what these comic book characters should look like, or should not look like, rather, that I think um, it, it could only get better. Like, and, and you look at things like the original Captain America movies with... Uh, Reb uh, Brown. What was his name? Reb Brown. Okay. Uh, uh, There's another one I'm thinking of. There was more than one. You're correct, uh, and I can't. Uh, I'm having some brain constipation right now. But those. those he was the son of, famous author. son of a famous author. Oh, um, um, Salinger, Matt Salinger. Matt Salinger. There you go. Thank you for the tip. <laughs> and that's all I remembered. It was like this random piece of trivia. But no, uh, the motorcycle so, helmet. It was. It was unspeakably bad. And the rubber wings or the <laughs> rubber ears on the side of his. And the thing, so for a little kid at the time, which I was, people can't comprehend how goddamn disappointing that was. <laughs> it was it was so disappointing because they would advertise these things and it's all you got. I mean, you know, you got you got your allowance and your 12 cent comics and they promote these things on TV and then you see them and it's like it's like the equivalent of getting an ice cream cone and dropping it on the ground right away. It's so disappointing. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will have more with uh, Mark Ronner. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one convenient place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, welcome back. We are still talking with Mark Rahner. Now, Mark, you did a series of comic books based on the Twilight Zone uh, that was collected in a compendium, correct? Was that, was that Dynamite? Uh, yeah, Dynamite. They're all original stories, with the exception that one of those stories was kind of a riff, sort of an inversion of a Twilight Zone episode, but absolutely not based on it in any other way, not, not a copy or a rewrite of it. Just no. kind of a variation on a theme, kind of like you hear about you know, improv, jazz. They'll, they'll take a basic chord progression and then just lose their mind and go in their own direction. 
Well, and that's uh, what I wanted to talk to you about that one first anyways, because holy shit, that thing hit so close to home for me. Um, but we're referring to, uh, there was an original Twilight Zone episode in season one called Walking Distance, uh, where the main character uh, pulls off for gas on the way back to his hometown. Uh, and he has to, I think he has to have the oil changed. And so as he's having the oil changed, he decides to walk to his old hometown, which is about a mile and a half away. And while he's there, he starts experiencing things that he can't explain. And long story short, it ends up being that he's back in time, back when he was a kid in this hometown. He's interacted with himself. He's interacted with uh, his parents. And it's a really great story. Very, uh, very, very well done story. About it's fantastic, how- and the actor in that show's name is Gig Young, and he was such a gifted actor. He was so good. Yeah, you the, you wouldn't remember the story nearly as well without the way he brought it to life like that, in addition to Rod Serling's astonishing writing. Well, yeah, of course, but uh, what I thought was great about that is, is in addition to, and we were talking about how the shots hold up over time, uh, Just uh, and I went to school for filmmaking i did uh, a few years of that and so short film has kind of always been on my mind and that opening shot where he's walks up to the cigarette machine and the cigarette machine has uh, a mirror in it and as he walks away instead of following him we follow him in the mirror and it's such a seamless transition and it's such a beautiful shot that it just it blew me away and and that was what grabbed me into the episode right away so mm-hmm. um but you did a take on walking distance uh, called stumbling distance. Uh, can yeah. you can you explain a little bit about uh, about that to, uh, for me? Yeah, it's really uh, the only autobiographical comic I've ever written. All the comics that I've ever done, maybe with the exception of Vampirella and Army of Darkness, uh, they're all about something that pisses me off. I'm a compulsive news consumer and uh, reactor and uh, you know we're talking about Rod Serling the the whole reason for the Twilight Zone was so that he could comment on things Mm -hmm. that that kept on getting uh, censored when he was just doing straight uh, uh, teleplays isn't the word I'm looking for he was doing um, uh, you know like patterns and uh, uh, things like that Uh, there was a the story that he, I think he'd done about a lynching. Anyway, to make a long story long, I guess, <laughs> uh, the original Walking Distance is about a guy who goes uh, and meets the childhood version of himself, and he wants to ca- kind of um, recapture this idyllic piece of youth that he had. Mine is just the opposite. Mine is a writer who's fairly successful uh, and goes back to his hometown for a book signing. Uh, And the writer is a bit of an alcoholic, but sort of a bon vivant who conceals it with sort of a happy-go-lucky demeanor. And he runs into the abused childhood version of himself. And he needs to decide what he's going to do about it because doing nothing really isn't an option and he in the process he meets his mother and this is not you know a back to the future type of hey your mom's kind of hot what are you gonna do about that it's it's uh it's meant to be kind of wrenching um and you know it had been on my mind my own mom uh died uh, several years ago and i had to clean out her house in uh, spokane washington and uh, that's where all that came from. And the ending, I think, gives you food for thought. And I won't spoil it for people who haven't read it yet. Oh, absolutely not. It, it was fantastic. I'm glad you connected with it. And, and that means a lot to me because uh, doing uh, good by uh, Uncle Rod is, uh, that's very, very important to me. And, you know, we've all read, uh, like, Gold Key had those shitty Twilight Zone comics when we were a kid. Uh, those are unreadable. Uh, they don't. Feel, they don't have the. They don't capture the same feeling. 
Uh, I don't even know that that was their goal. You know, I just, I, it's like, were they there to sell gum? What were they even for? But uh, I, I guess, I guess, but there was a lot of like those, those gold key Ripley's believe it or not. And then the Dell comics, it was hard for me to tell those apart, but yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you connected with these because when you have a good publisher and dynamite gave me a lot of leeway, uh, it, it, it's important to do as much as you possibly can to get it right. And, and I'm glad that you liked it. Well, the cool thing about that, and we were talking about uh, Seth MacFarlane's love letter being the Orville uh, love letter to Star Trek. And you could tell his passion and his fandom for Star Trek uh, through his work on that show. Uh, likewise, I could see that through uh, just, even if we were just to take the, the Serling narration that you put at the, at the header and the footer of each comic, mm. uh, it sounds so very much like him that I couldn't help but read it in his voice. Well, that was certainly the intent and I'm glad <laughs> crossed that way because, you know, as a compulsive researcher going back from my career 1.0 in newspapers, my method of doing anything like that is that I just, it's total immersion. Uh, and so even though I've already more or less knew the Twilight Zone awfully, awfully well, when I got the gig for Dynamite to do the comics, of course, the first thing I did was go blow money on the Blu-ray set and, <laughs> and, and just have it on constantly, especially focusing on the narration, because it's hard to get that right. Uh, you said you watched the Jordan Peele version, and then there was an 80s version that, um, that had, I think it had no narrator for a while, and then it had... Uh, Oh, what is the guy's name? People listening aren't going to care what the guy's name was, but he, he was a guest star on a few Wild Wild West episodes and kind of one of these omnipresent character actors in the 60s and 70s. Charles... This is going to bug me. This is going to bug me. I'll look it up. You keep talking. He played Jeremy Pike in, in the Wild Wild West after Ross Martin, who played Artie the sidekick, had a heart attack in one of the seasons. <laughs> um, but uh, Charles Aidman. Charles Aidman is his name. Okay. So we were talking about the narration of the Twilight Zone. If you look at these things, almost nobody got it right after the originals. It's very hard to do. And I appreciate anybody that I read who does even come close to getting it right. Well, and I had this conversation with, uh, with Brandon last, I, I talked to him a few weeks ago. Uh, we were talking about, uh, because he's done a lot of tie-in work as well with Battlestar Galactica, Bionic Woman, Army of Darkness, uh, things like that. He's done a lot of work on materials that have built-in fan bases, built-in uh, audiences. And, yeah. and uh, the conversation that I had with him, and I guess I can ask you about your take on it as well, is, uh, and, and I, I kind of feel like I know where you're going to go with it, but the question is, well, at that point was, uh, what is the responsibility of the person creating the new material uh, in keeping with the original material? What, what is their responsibility as far as uh, respecting the source material? And it was Brandon's assertion that we talked specifically about Thundercats. I don't know how much experience you have with the Thundercats. No, none, none. Okay. I'm, not a thunder, I'm not Thundercat literate and I apologize. <laughs> well, they've taken, uh, Thundercats was a, a cartoon that was in the, I want to say mid to late eighties. Um, and then uh, they revamped it and brought it back out in 2011 uh, with a bit of an edgier kind of look at to it. Um, I was a fan of both of those takes. Um, but the reason that I brought the question up to Brandon was uh, they're creating is, and I believe by now it's probably on the air. It's called Thundercats Roar. And it is, uh, not for better lack of a better term, we'll just say cartoonish take on it, which is funny because it's a cartoon in the first place. How dare they? Uh, how dare they, right? But it's like they took uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, like Marv Wolfman's Teen Titans compared to Teen Titans Go. Is okay, kind of the way I, I compare it. Okay, all right. And so you got what they what Marv Wolfman's Teen Titans were, and then you've got the silly weirdness that is Teen Titans Go, that's kind of the comparison. Like you have the Thundercats and then you have this new trying to be Adventure Time, trying to be Steven Universe medley of Drek. Uh -huh. And uh, Brandon's assertion was that uh, he didn't mind it. And, and the reason he didn't mind it was because it's not for us. 
it's it's for a new audience and anything that gets a new audience into something that you love should be kind of accepted what do you what do you feel about that as regards to uh the twilight zone well i feel like the twilight zone is not thundercats let's start with that <laughs> um and well, so clearly i think that in addition to trying to get serling's voice down or, or if you can't just not having a narrator but in, in addition to get serling's voice down you got to make it about something i think one of the things that people lose sight of about rod serling is what a truly angry and rightfully so righteously angry liberal rod serling was and how many of those episodes were a response to things going on at his time just like you and i could turn on the news and and just be like can you believe this garbage right here and what they're that would that's what he was doing and uh you must make twilight zone stories about something they were not they absolutely were not just cute little uh, morality tales with with funny twist endings they just weren't right uh, and, and neither was your writing as as well i mean uh it, it's really easy to see something like that come across as kind of well like you say light and fluffy and just kind of a uh oh what a twist moment an m light Shyamalan moment or whatever you want to call it but it's it's clear to me that yours wasn't no, he, uh, he was writing with urgency and passion about serious things going on in his time. And, and I think if you're able to do that, you got to do that if, if, you're, if you're trying to do Twilight Zone. But, you know, just to broaden it out, in any art, especially comics, I mean, I see people who have to be just like the biggest numbskulls on earth <laughs> complaining about SJWs in comics <laughs> Jesus, or yeah. keeping politics out of comics. I don't want to read your stupid politics or... <laughs> and it's like they don't understand what they've been reading and watching their whole life. What do, what do they think comics are about? I mean, <laughs> they clearly weren't they paying attention. Creators were that made the comics. Who do they think Jack Kirby was? You know, Jack Kirby wasn't a real hand wringer when it came to punching Nazis. You know, <laughs> I agree. And it's funny you mentioned that. I've gotten into conversations with people about uh, the direction of comics and the inclusivity and. Uh, uh, the the role that we all have to take as far as representation in media and pop culture and uh, uh there's a lot of people who are just woefully upset about it oh this isn't the way it was supposed to be this is uh, this thor was never a woman what are you doing making thor a woman it's like look first of all thor was a mythological creature before he was ever a comic book and I got news for you, pal. If you haven't read any Norse mythology, there's quite a lot of gender bending going on. I have. I have. It was <laughs> the first stuff that I've read. I, you know, I, I think that we're getting into a kind of different territory, but I appreciate no, what no. you're saying about Thor. I'm not so much a fan of taking really long established characters and then swapping them out um, because I appreciate original female characters in their own right much more than I would say a female Thor. Right, uh, and that's where that conversation actually delved into is, is the fact that it can't be done just for doing its sake. It has to be something that is that means something, that is uh, geared in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, in general, I'm more, more interested in seeing a female Thor than a male Wonder Woman, but if the story is good and it's got a reason and some passion behind it and even some good righteous anger, yeah, sure, do whatever works. To, feel free to experiment. But the one thing I'm not interested in is just, you know, fan fiction with muscular people punching each other. It's <laughs> got to be, you got to have some passion with it and it's got to be about something. And anybody who says differently, uh, <laughs> I just, I don't know what they've been reading. And if they have been reading the same things you and I have been, maybe they just didn't get it. There was another uh, story that was in the compendium that I wrote. Uh, what, what was the name? The compendium was named Shadows and... Uh, the Twilight Zone, Shadow yes. and Substance. Shadow, Shadow and Substance. Substance is obviously a phrase taken from uh, the intro to the show. Okay. Um, there was a world of things and ideas, Shadows and Substance. Something I feel like, like you'd probably have a really good Rod Serling impression built up. If you look online, I bet you'll find something. <laughs> uh, there was another story that you did, and, and the name of it escapes me, and I apologize. I, I just binged a whole lot of it at once. So, um, about uh, 
astronaut who's put into captivity? Oh, uh, I think the title of that one is Jailbreak. Was that Jailbreak? Okay. I think. It's been a while since I wrote these things, so, so thank you for your patience. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Jailbreak was uh, in the first uh, the the first two issues of the monthly series, and not one of the specials. Yes, yes, Jailbreak uh, is about a guy who finds him an astronaut who finds himself in a situation that I think if you've ever seen the old 1967 Prisoner show, maybe it'll give you a little a little feeling of the village, but it's definitely not the village. It, it was, it was, and I, again, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. I'm not going to go blabbling about the ending, but uh, it was, we talked a bit about the fact that you wrote all of your Twilight Zone, we'll call them episodes, issues, um, as if they were being filmed in the same manner that the original Twilight Zone was filmed. With the same budget limitations and, yeah, no gigantic set pieces or things that... I didn't want to write anything for the artist to draw that couldn't have been done in the show with their own limitations. Right, and and not for nothing, but I feel like that's also what helped lend itself to the feeling of it being a natural extension of the Twilight Zone. Because it definitely, I mean, uh, you could see shot angles in there. I mean, if I wanted to pick up one of these issues and try shooting it now, I feel like I could. I feel like you storyboarded it almost 100% for me. I'm glad you picked up on that. You're completely right about that. And, you know, like there's another uh, episode or story, sorry, (laughs) (laughs) uh, called uh, Cold, um, Cold Calculation. And that's done in black and white, actually, to even closer approximate the old Twilight Zones. Not only is it done black and white, it takes place on a spaceship where the ship and the uniforms, Mm -hmm. I told the artist, use those same Forbidden Planet designs that were reused in the Twilight Zone and a bunch of other stuff back in the 60s. And so uh, the artist did a beautiful job on that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Is that in the collection that you read? It was. In fact, I finished reading that about 10 minutes before I, I texted you to get the conversation rolling. So, Yeah, so it's, it's the same thing. Uh, do it like it would have been produced originally, right down to you know, the, those uniforms and models that they would have had uh, you know, in the studios and, and, and the back lots that they would have had to shoot them on. Yeah, and, and it, like I said, it just lends itself to making the whole experience feel very authentic and very... Uh, very much an extension of the twilight zone. And that's why I feel like it's like I'm in the twilight zone reading that. So, so if I can ask you a question, pardon sure. me for taking over. Um, I am curious about how um, the jailbreak story hit you and how you would summarize it since you're not me. Uh, it hit me a little different than I would say uh, stumbling distance did. I, I, I felt like it was, it, it was a really well self-contained story. Uh, it makes you really examine. It, it's going to sound weird when I say it out loud. Uh, pets, animals. <laughs> we we keep these animals in our homes. We feed them. We we placate them. We feed them attention and play with them and. Give them treats. Give them treats and make them happy. um, All the while keeping them essentially in captivity. And they're never really happy unless they're able to accept that captivity. Because, and I've had experiences with animals that have been part feral that I've tried to, to give a home to and to foster. And uh, it's not ever gone well as uh, with the, uh, with your astronaut character. Um, I I feel like it was kind of showing us the other side of this animal captivity that we call uh, pets. Uh, Great. Well, thank you for that. I just, uh, it's been so long since that's been out and I, uh, (laughs) 
and since I wrote it, I was just curious about how that one struck you. And uh, you, it sounds like you picked up on everything I was laying down there. So, so that's great. You know, if, uh, since we're talking, since we're pals now, let me just draw your attention to one more. And I don't know if it was in the collection you read or not, but it seems to be just more relevant the, the longer time passes. And it was called Takers. Did you, was Takers in there? Takers was in there. Okay, okay. So Takers is about just kind of a really blatantly Rand Paul type of uh, pandering, <laughs> uh, extreme right-wing politician with absolutely no compassion whatsoever. None. <laughs> and this guy, his name in the story was something like... Uh, Galt? Galt Randall, yeah. Uh, it, it's a, a pretty obvious uh, Ayn Rand uh, type of name. He is mystically or otherwise transported back to the dust bowl uh, <laughs> and he comes across these people these poor people struggling in in the dust bowl era and tries out his makers and takers stuff on them and it doesn't end real well for him uh and uh i'm not a fan of my own work any more than i'm a fan of like listening to my own voice looking in the mirror any of that stuff but i think that just in terms of a story that resonates with where we are right now and what we're seeing. I mean, we're seeing people being forced to go back to work when it's obvious they're going to get sick and die just so they can, uh, you know, save keep... money on unemployment insurance. Yeah. 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 And, and it all ties back in with what I mentioned earlier about Serling being just absolutely fulminating mad at, at, you know, greed and cruelty. And, and that's one that's been, uh, that I, I think might resonate with people more now. Uh, especially if you're one of the eat the rich kind of liberals. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and bring your condiments if you're going to eat the rich. <laughs> It'll be a feast. We don't taste great. Well, uh, we're going to take one more quick break and uh, we will come back and have a little bit more conversation with Mr. Mark Romer. Voting isn't just going to the polls on election day. Options like early voting, mail-in voting, and ballot drop boxes are available to more voters and are growing in popularity. How to Vote, a tool created by Democracy Works, breaks down the options your state offers for casting a ballot, empowering you to decide when and where to vote. Democracy works best when we all vote, but misinformation and confusion about election procedures have resulted in low voter turnout how to Vote is easy to use and helps folks from all over the country overcome many of the process barriers to voting. Democracy Works is committed to helping you vote no matter what. You can sign up for election reminders, see what's on your ballot, get step-by-step -step assistance requesting your mailing ballot, explore your options for returning your voted mail ballot, check your voter registration status, find your polling site, and make sure you have the appropriate ID. Decide when and where you'll vote this year at howto.vote. Okay, so we're back with Mark Rahner. Mark, we were talking about the Twilight Zone. Now, here's a question that came to mind uh, while I was watching the episode, actually, on TV. Uh, the Twilight Zone is oftentimes looked upon as a precursor to a lot of, of the horror genre or early horror genre on television at least and uh suspense for sure um do you think that had restrictions on television been a little looser uh when they were being filmed that they would have been more visceral and more uh schlock horror or do you think that the restrictions at the time kind of led them to be more subversive with it and more uh, intelligent with how they filmed these things I don't think Rod Serling had a schlock horror uh, atom in his DNA, if that mixes science terms. Uh, and I also think there's really something to be said for working within limitations and how that forces people to be creative sometimes. Uh, it reminds me of an old parable called The Bound Man. Was that a Kafka story? Kafka? Kafka? Uh, I forget. But if you haven't read the story, uh, it's about a circus performer who... Uh, is tied up 
in the athletic ways that he evades, uh, is it, I think a tiger in his cage are profoundly entertaining to everybody. Then one day somebody thinks they're doing him a solid, uh, they slip in with a knife and cut him loose and he doesn't know what to do with himself and he gets killed. Uh, Jeez. It's been a while since I read this story, so if I've gotten any details of that wrong, including the author, I apologize. You got you got the Google machine right at your fingertips. It'll be easy for you to find the bound man. But so in addition to the fact that I don't think Serling would have um, you know done any kind of schlock horror if there were fewer limitations, you got to remember that the Twilight Zone existed solely because of his frustration at just being able to talk about issues and depict issues uh, on national TV. And, you know, this wonderful device that was beaming into people's houses, it wasn't being used for anything worthwhile. It was a bunch of crap. Anything with any hard edges on it, those edges were filed down. They didn't want to upset anybody. They didn't want to upset their advertisers or their viewers. And so this was a Trojan horse of Rod Serling, but it was an entertaining one. I mean, nobody wants to be lectured either. If you look at things like the monsters are due on Maple Street or um, the obsolete man, another great episode, they sort of came close to lectures, but they were also just profoundly entertaining. You got to have both at once. Mm-hmm. Nobody, Nobody wants to just sit there and, and be lectured at by, by a bore. And he knew that. And I think a lot of the old uh, television uh, was very thematic in a, in a way of dealing with uh, culture, as it were. Like We talked a lot about the original series Star Trek and what Gene Roddenberry was attempting to do uh, quite successfully. I don't mean to say attempting as in he didn't uh, achieve it. Um, but what he did with um, first on screen interracial kiss and a lot of different social issues at the time. The very idea of this floating UN in space, this wagon train to the stars, I think uh, is very emblematic of what he was trying to get across and very uh, much in the same vein as trying to take uh, social issues on and, and handle them in a way that would make them more accessible to people, I guess. Roddenberry was obsessed with that stuff, uh, at least as much as Sterling. And he was such a giant pain in the ass to the network. That's the real reason Star Trek was canceled and not low ratings. Uh, he was such a pain in the ass. Uh, in fact, you should have an author named Mark Cushman on your show. He's written uh, big, big doorstop books about the making of the original series, as well as Lost in Space and I Spy, prolific, prolific writer. And he can tell you more detail about that than I can. But yeah, Roddenberry wanted to push that stuff. Uh, you know, allegories for Vietnam. Uh, uh-huh. What was the episode? Uh, Private Little War. Although, you know, if you're, if you're a kid watching that, all you care about is Nancy Kovac in a, in a fur bikini, right? <laughs> And as what I love about talking to you about all this stuff is I've got such a keen mind right now to sit down and, and just really dive back into Green Hornet and Batman and the original series and Twilight Zone and Outer Limits. And it's, it's stuff that I've had sitting around for quite a long time. It's definitely something that's been on my radar before. But, you know, we have a tendency to get so caught up in all the different because we got such a vast uh, vast array of media available to us and every orifice, as it were, uh, that it's really difficult to sit down and enjoy the classics, I think, sometimes. And well, it may be for you, buddy boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that stuff is, uh, is my, uh, that's my comfort viewing, especially now where that we're in a pandemic lockdown. I mean, you know, like, like you, I, I, I watch Game of Thrones and, and, current stuff and I read as much as I can. I couldn't in 10 lifetimes watch and read and listen to everything I, I want to, but that stuff I like to keep in the mix because I, I think it's it's just fantastic and it's there's nothing that was like it before and nothing that's been like it since. Right. It, it definitely carved out its own little niche. And uh... Yeah, it's like Mount Fuji. Sometimes it's so big that we forget 
how big it is and, and how it's touched everything that we consume now. It's like uh, if, if you are a big comic book reader, maybe it's hard for you to stop every now and then and take into account what a big influence 1986 was with Miller's The Dark Knight and, uh, and, and Alan Moore's The Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Everything you read in comics was touched in some way by that. Just the same was every, everything in our culture, not just TV, was definitely touched by the Twilight Zone and Star Trek and, and you know, this other stuff to a lesser extent. Well, see, and that kind of thing is built into me as well. I'm, uh, one of my greatest passions is retro video gaming. Oh, yeah, uh, like what? Uh, well, I collect it all. I've got somewhere in the neighborhood of like 80 different systems with about... If I were to tell you that I own an original old cocktail tabletop Pac-Man game and an Asteroids game. Love it. Uh, there's a company you should look into uh, and this isn't an advertisement I'm sure as hell not sponsored by them but I do give them money uh, which I think is the backwards way to sponsor I think they're supposed to give me money but yeah you got to turn that around (laughs) there's a company called uh, New Wave Toys Uh, they do a thing called Replicades uh, and what they are is uh, places for uh, replicants to enjoy games (laughs) something like that they are they are one six scale arcade cabinets. Oh, fun! And so they've got like four or five of them that they've done, and uh, I've only picked up one of them so far. I kickstarted another one that's been put on hold because of the the whole coronavirus thing. But uh, I've got a Street Fighter two cabinet sitting in my living room that is oh. about uh, twelve inches tall, fully functional, and. Uh, uh, they've got one of the ones that, uh, the one that I kickstarted that's been on hold is, is, a, a one six scale version of Dragon's Lair, which oh. the old Don Bluth animated yeah. nightmare yeah, I from hell. So fast on that one. Yeah. That, that one would just make your money evaporate, evaporate really quickly. Uh-huh. And it is ridiculously hard. And I don't think I've, I might give, I've hardly ever gotten out of the starting gate on that game, but. Uh, they're, they're sending me one of these days, a, a one six scale cabinet for that. So I'm pretty excited about that, but retro games, that's my, that's my bread and butter. I got like 80 different systems and oh, 800 games or so between it all. And Okay. Best video game cabinet of all time. Uh, arcade cabinet uh-huh. uh, of all time. That's, that's hard. The answer is space invaders. I do enjoy Space Invaders. <laughs> I do. I was going to throw in Centipede or I was going to throw in Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong's always had a soft spot for it. So Both worthy choices, but Space Invaders is beautiful. I've always wanted one of those. Hey, go ahead and ask me what my favorite pinball machine is. Oh, what? Twilight Zone. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I say that with no hyperbole and no, no fucking spin. That's always been my favorite uh, pinball machine. Uh, introduced magnetic bumpers and you got Rod Serling's narration in the background of the whole thing. And yeah, it's really good. I've had, I've owned quite a number of pinball machines, but um, I had to get rid of everything uh, when I moved from Seattle to Los Angeles. And uh, that, that the twilight zone was always my Holy grail. Have you never owned one? Not a twilight zone. Uh, I've owned about a half dozen other pinball machines, but the twilight zone is the one where you like, you know, when I get that that first big uh, movie option or something, that's what I'm gonna. That's how I'm gonna reward myself. And and my wife knows that too. I've told her that as well. I said the first time uh, I I do anything worthwhile or sell anything worthwhile or yada yada yada, come up on cash, have the space in the house to put it. I said the Twilight Zone's definitely the thing I'm gonna get. So. Yeah, and I don't want to. I don't want to Shanghai things here, but it's just cool to have pinball machines where you live. People love them when they come over. They're fun to play. To get, if you're a writer, uh, you you probably know this. You you need things to just to get out of your own head at the end of the day. Pinball's great for that. I have a pachinko machine that I did that with for a while. Uh huh. But uh, that has to live in the garage right now, so I don't get to my fuse. They're a little noisy, aren't they? They are quite noisy. Yeah. Well, I want to just, I really want to thank you, Mark, for, for taking the time to uh, chat with me during this quarantine. Uh, I just wanted someone to talk to. I'm so lonely. (laughs) (laughs) 
Somebody send somebody, please. We can't go anyplace. We're so lonely. But uh, yeah, well, I mean, and it's been it's been uh, fun talking to you. And I definitely, like I said, I'm I'm gonna kind of go on a bit of a bender this weekend. I think with some old Twilight Zone. And my kid was my kid's 15. He was showing a little bit of interest when I was watching the one the other day. So oh. I'm gonna sit him down and and kind of throw him through some of them and see what he thinks. And I don't have kids, and I envy you the experience of watching it with a kid <laughs> that age. You're both really lucky. So uh, have fun with that. I'm glad we got to meet, too. I didn't know you before this, and so uh, let's stay in touch. Absolutely, Mark. And I want to thank you all for listening uh, into another episode of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. Uh, like I said, just uh, be safe out there. Take care of everybody. And uh, do what you can to help kick this thing in the ass and get it over with so we can get back to some kind of semblance of normal. And like I always like to tell everybody at the end here, uh, remember that uh, everything is fandom and fandom is everything. Take care.